You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello, welcome back to the Claret and Blue podcast. Much more enthused than the last episode I sat here and did. I feel very happy after just watching Aston Villa beat Arsenal for the second time this season. The first time that Villa have completed the double over Arsenal for 28 years, if my statistics are right, aka what I've just robbed from social media. <laughs> my name is Dan Rowlinson, joined as always by Matt Kendrick in a lovely shirt. Is that the 99-2000 home shirt you got on? It is, yeah. It's um, it brings with it disappointment from from that FA Cup final of two thousand. But still, we'll uh, we'll leave that to one side. This is a glorious celebratory podcast. Uh, before we start, the um, we've got some new intro music, haven't we? Which I'm going to take a while to get used to. I'm going to try and turn my phone off as well. Um, Thanks for that. Let me just turn my phone off. Yeah, I'm not sure I like the new music. You know what music I've got going oh, around my head at the moment, Dan. I can't shake that. I hate it. Um, I mean, talk about of, the game. Well, first of all, talking of the new intro music, we've had to change it because of a copyright strike. And I mean, your rendition of the BT Sport there is perfect. We might get another copyright strike for that. That was absolutely spot on. Um, so yeah, I've had no, to no, change that, it. that wasn't the BT Sport one. Man. That's just a song that I, that's like my theme tune that I had oh, growing okay. up. Uh, okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, we'll talk about the game. What a result! Um, mate. What a result! Ground it out. All the, all the usual cliches and a, a very lovely, lovely win. Yeah, you know, it's um, we've said it before, haven't we? We try and say this when we're clutching for positives after after the defeats that this Villa team don't kind of sulk for long. Mm. Whatever's gone wrong the game before, they try and work on it. Albeit, you know, probably haven't had many training sessions between now and um, and the Wednesday night defeat to West Ham. But they get over things quickly. And that's why, kind of, as a fan base, you've probably got to get used to these kind of little peaks and troughs. Um, mm. You know, just because somebody's bad one night doesn't mean that it should be the end of the career. And neither just because somebody's brilliant another day doesn't mean that we should erect a stat- statue of them outside the whole end. Um, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was a game in which Villa did the things that they, they've done really well this season. I think Villa defensively, when they're organised and disciplined and hardworking and have that kind of man, have that Arsenal reject behind them in Emi Martinez, are very, very difficult to score goals against when they're at it like that. Yeah, and Villa, Villa can spring, Villa can, Villa are explosive and dynamic and can spring teams on the attack. I think if we've been super, super greedy, the part of Villa that we need to involve is how they control games and how mm. they kind of um, manage games a little bit because... You know, I don't think they, they were great in possession at times, but the fact that they worked hard to win the ball back probably made up for, you know, how easily, easily they lost it at times. But I don't think we can be too greedy, Dan, to be honest. We've got a, we've got a defence that, that can be solid when it's at it. We've got an attacking force that, that can score goals and spring with pace and, and, you know, real enthusiasm and real creativity. It will come, I mm. think. Villa are still growing into themselves as, as a Premier League team. So, you know, to, doing the double over Arsenal, you know, it's it's unheard of. You know, it took us so long to beat them at Villa Park. Did that last season to do it again. Um, and for all, and I'll let you speak in a minute. For all, um, for all the fact that Arsenal kind of you know pushed and and kind of dominated the ball uh, at times during that game, Villa created more chances as well. You know, Villa mm. probably could have scored three or four four goals. And Martinez, with the exception of that save that he made. Uh, was it from Pepe, I think, at his near post when he looked like he'd been knocked over by a skittle? Yeah. Uh, like a skittle. And the first the first half when he, you know, how he's got to that that area of the goal, uh, how a man can leap like that without having rocket fuel boots on, I don't know. From the free kick. But, yeah, other than that, yeah. I don't think he's been he's been, been worked that hard. So, 
you know, I thought it was a very, very welcome and pleasing performance, to be honest. Good summary. I will chip in with some thoughts now. Um, it's interesting that you say about being greedy and, and not being negative. And I, I just want to get a couple of slight annoyances out of the way because I do want this podcast to be 25 minutes or so of, of positivity because it's easy to be negative when, we, when we've lost a game. There's no point dwelling on it if, we, if we've won the game. Um, I think, yeah, like you said, midfield passed us by a little bit and we didn't really look like we massively had the game under control. Um, I still think Barker looked a little bit off it. Not not massively keen on the way he, he kind of trudges off the pitch and throws a bit of a wobbly whenever he gets substituted. Part of me feels like, oh, yeah, he should be upset to come off because he should want to be better. Which is just kind of like sulking like a teenager. He's doing my head in a little bit now. It's like, play better and you'd play 90 minutes, mate. Um, so that annoyed me a little bit. I wanted to see Sanson from a, a selfish point of view. I thought he would have been the maybe the better substitution rather than Ramsey um, to, to try and get a bit of foothold in the game um, and just not scoring more than one goal. Like, obviously, it's not matter today because we've won the game, but I was just on edge for the whole the whole second half, thinking like, Arsenal could get something here out of nowhere and, it, and we're going to be looking back on it going, oh, I would have made chances but not won the game. I would like to see us score two or three when we win, but like I said before, that is just being greedy and we'll now go on to the positives, I guess. Look at Mr. Grumpy. I know, but it's just, I was just, like I said, we've won, so it doesn't matter, but with 1 0, and I was just getting ready to come on here going, oh, Villa have thrown away three points because they can't score more than one goal, and that would be a frustration. Yeah, listen, like I said, I think I think we are being greedy if we, if we start kind of quibbling over that. I, I thought he subs, <laughs> I, who'd have thought I would have been the kind of positive, optimistic one today? I thought his subs were, were bang on, to be honest. I thought he, he realised that. I think he probably realised that we weren't controlling the game, so we need need some energy on there to close them down. And you think he he, he did that with with Trezeguet and, and yeah, Trezeguet and was a good move and Ramsey coming on. Um, yeah, we'd have loved to have scored another couple of goals. You know, there were chances to do that. You know, Grealish had one that's 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 forced a good save. Ollie Watkins, uh, likewise. Um, Jacob Ramsey's gone through and, and and had a decent attempt at goal. So mm. I just think from what we saw from Villa against a very good West Ham team on Wednesday to what we saw today against. Okay, it's not a vintage Arsenal team. It's not an Arsene Wenger glory years Arsenal team, but it's still a decent, decent Arsenal team. Let's be fair. Yeah. I thought it, I thought it was, was brilliant. And I, the thing that props most encouraged me was the fact that we moaned a little bit in the week when um, West Ham did a job on Grealish and none of Grealish's teammates really stood up. Um, I don't think you could say that today. Um mm. I mean, thought Traore was really, really bright for the goal. It could have been, you know, 90 seconds into a match, it could be a case where just you're just feeling your way in. But he was at it. He was at it from the off. Um, and, you know, I thought he did really well to create the to create the goal. Almost yeah. did so well that deserved a little kind of break of good fortune for the deflection, <laughs> which it, it, it wouldn't have amused me if it had gone in the other end, but it amused, it amused me massively. It was like, you know, those kind of slow motion scenes in films where you go, no, <laughs> it was like that, the way it rolled in and that, that poor, poor deputy goalie uh, didn't have a chance. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really pleased that Villa don't, don't have us kind of um, doom and gloomish for too long anymore. Yeah. Um, also, when, when you're saying earlier about, you know, kind of not getting too high with the highs and too low with the lows and all that kind of stuff, a couple of episodes ago, which was probably days ago at this point, we were all talking Tyrone Mings is getting hammering in, in the in the podcast comments on social media. Today he gets the man of the match and he doesn't put a foot wrong and everyone's going, bloody good defender Tyrone Mings. 
it's nice to see it, isn't it? Because like you said, you, you don't want to be too much one way or the other, but it's nice that when someone's had a bad game that we can then recognise when they've had a good game and praise them rightly so. Yeah, that's what you know, that's what management's about as well, isn't it? You know, if if Dean Smith started digging out his players after mm. kind of you know a couple of mistakes, how you expect how you expected to kind of gain the trust of those those people again? You know, mm. the next couple of weeks. And I thought Mings, I thought Mings was brilliant. Um, you know, I think that Martin Keown's obviously a, a defender of, of some distinction. You know, he, he knows what it's like to be a, a top class defender in the Premier League. And obviously, he was on the co-coms today and. I think he pointed out. I can't remember who, who Mings intercepted the ball from, but the, the Arsenal breaking down the right, and Mings had to get it just right and got his body shape just right to to get it. And I think sometimes we can forget, you know, when Mings is casual in possession and he gets caught on the ball, we sometimes think that there's either that side of Mings, the footballing side of Mings, or there's the kind of brave blocks kind of throwing his body on the line. I don't think you can be in a team that's that's kept 11 Premier League clean sheets now so far this mm-hmm. season, if you're not positionally aware as well. And I think it was it was interesting to see see that side of Mings as well. Um yeah. but again it's a it's a it's a it's a team effort. I thought um I thought Matt Target and Matty Cash were were, were very good. Um likewise Conza I think I don't need to go across the whole the whole team <laughs> do I? Um but yeah it, it so I made this big kind of impassioned defence of Tyrone Mings uh, two weeks ago or whatever. And in the next couple of games, Tyrone Mings might might, might drop in a, a mistake or be caught on the ball or lose his man or whatever. But you don't write people off on, yeah. on the basis of, of one or one or a couple of bad performances, not when they've done what they what they've done in top, kind of revitalising this football club and this football team in the last couple of years. Let's talk a little bit about Emmy Martinez. I absolutely love the bloke. He's probably my favourite goalkeeper we've had at Villa in my time of, of supporting them in what's that, fifteen-ish years, a um, bit more maybe. Um, he's so good, and we're talking about Arsenal deputies with with is it Matt Ryan playing playing for them today? I think I think it's Matt um, Martinez would have been playing for them, wouldn't he? If he'd not made the switch to Villa, people probably would have been much watching Martinez play for Arsenal today. Going, oh, he's a pretty decent keeper. Why is he on the bench for Arsenal? Why they've sold him? And why someone else didn't come in for him? And he was only twenty odd million or whatever it was. What a goalkeeper! I absolutely adore everything he does. Even just the little simple things that you don't really see too much in modern goalkeeping. It feels a bit like a throwback that every time he goes for a dive and save, it isn't parried away back into danger. He holds on to every ball, comes and claims everything. I feel so calm watching him as a, as a fan. If I was a defender playing with him behind me, I'd be thinking, well, I know that Emmy's gonna he's gonna he's gonna deal with this easily. Um, in my time of supporting Villa, you've got people like Friedel, who's probably one of the first ones from, from the own earlier onwards. Um, I can't even think of any of the other decent ones. Brad Guzan had a, a decent season or so. How does he rank in terms of goalkeepers that you've seen in your time? That's a really good question. I actually think, I think, I think you're welcome. He's, um, he's got a kind of passing range as well that probably oh, a lot of people well, yeah. in midfielders would be proud of. You know, yeah. pings the ball on the half volley. Um, he's created the goal, hasn't he? To be yeah, fair, he's always quick. Fair. He's always looking for it. He's always looking for the quick throw out or, or the long punt up field. It's he's just he's just so good, and he? he just keeps us ticking all round. Like you said, even from a, from going forward perspective. I mean, I've seen I've been lucky enough to see some some great goalkeepers. You know, Mark, not not just Martin Spink. He's our former Stoke City right? Not just Spink. <laughs> <laughs> not just Spink was a. Um, was the one who was, you know, number one when, when I first started watching Villa. Um, 
and he'd already kind of got a lot of credit in the bank by then for being a European Cup winner, but he was kind of super solid, uh, super reliable, all-round good good goalkeeper and good guy. And then Bosnich, who was just the most agile kind of brilliant shot stopper, um, but big personality and leader as well, um, would, would be up there. I mean, probably, probably in terms of Martinez, for a first, what, 20 games or so, you know, what an impact he's made. Probably be better yeah. to judge him once we've seen him. For, you know, hopefully he can be Villa number one for, for many years to come um, and judge him then. But, you know, the stats speak for speak for themselves. You know, he's kept, was he 11? 11 I clean sheets. So, yeah. saying, 11 clean sheets in, in the Premier League. Um, and let's not forget that defence, with the exception of, of Matty Cash, has not really changed that mm. much. You know, Cons has, Cons has come in and become a regular. So, in fairness, it's changed in that sense because he was more of a deputy last season. But for, for Martinez to look so assured and for the defence to have trust in him um, and vice versa, it's brilliant. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's early days for him, but I, th- I think there's certainly signs that, that he's going to go on to become a, a real kind of Villa hero and Villa favourite. I was just having a quick scan of last season's results. <laughs> and if my... Hasty looking through Google is correct. I think we only got seven clean sheets in the Premier League in the entirety of last season. So I'd have 11 already at the halfway or just over the halfway point shows how much we've progressed and how much difference a goalkeeper makes. I remember when the podcast we were doing in the summer, we were saying about, do we even need a goalkeeper really? If Tom Heaton comes back in September, October-ish, I'm sure that Jed Steer or whoever can deputise for the first eight games of the season and then we'll, we'll be okay. The fact that we were in question whether we needed one it's probably the difference between Villa being going for a top six in early February than probably fighting down the, the bottom end of the table because Villa were ruthless and said, well, we need a goalkeeper from day one. Emmy Martinez is available, who, who's, who's a quality goalkeeper. Get him in and he'll, he'll make a difference. And that's exactly what he's done. Um, also talking about where we were from last season, that's 35 points now in, in the Premier League for Villa after 21 games, I think. 35 points for the entirety of last season's campaign. We could lose every game now for the rest of the season and still do what we did last year and probably would stay up as well. The progress we've made, and we've said it time and time again, is is ridiculous. I've also seen a stat. Um, it's 11 Premier League wins for Villa now. 10 of those wins have been the clean sheets as well. There's only been one game where we've conceded and won, and that was the, the two goals against Liverpool. Every other win we've had in the Premier League so far has been a clean sheet. That's a pretty unbelievable style, I think. Part of me looks at that and thinks, oh, that's probably quite normal, but there's no 2-1s, there's no 3-1s, three 3-2s. Three They're all either 1-0, 2-0, 3-0, whatever, apart from that Liverpool game. Yeah, I mean, in terms of what you were saying first about whether we needed a goalkeeper, um, that's why Dean Smith paid the big books. Yeah. Because they, they work closely and they know, they've got an idea and a vision of what needs to be done and, and, and what improvements can be made. Um, it was a shrewd, a shrewd move. Listen, I'm not writing off Tom Heaton either because if anything course, happens yeah. to Martinez, I'm sure Tom Heaton could come in and do a fabulous job as well. He he showed that and he proved that you know during the first half of last season. Um, in terms of the clean sheets, yeah, I mean, you're saying, again, I know it was very quick scan with your math, seven clean sheets last season. You could probably add in the clean sheets of the previous Premier League season as well when we got relegated and <laughs> add the two seasons together and you probably wouldn't get much above 11, to be honest. So, Dean Smith's a centre-half by trade. John Smith, John Smith, he's a, good, he's a, he's a manufacturer of bitter. <laughs> uh, John Terry is a centre-half by trade as well, which we've been keen enough to, re, to remind them of when Villa mm. have leaked goals and, you know, 
switched off from set pieces and all, all that kind of thing. Um, so you'd like to think, well, they have they have realised and known all along that, that defensive meanness is, is the platform to, to build on. Um, but they've been able to do it in a way that it hasn't come at the cost of trying to want to go and win matches, going on the front foot to go and win matches. And I think that's a pretty pretty impressive com- com- combination. And that's mm-hmm. why I was saying at the, at the start of the podcast that Villa will grow as a team in terms of, you know, the decision making, how to kill off games, how to, you know, how to kind of almost strangle opponents. I don't mean literally, but you know what I mean? In kind, yeah. in kind of frustrating them and keeping the ball and, and being able to know when to sit and when to go. I think that will come, uh, but I think that's got to evolve. I don't think we can we can do that do that from day one. Um, I mean, the, the points tally is just ridiculous, isn't it? 35 points in, what do you say, 21 games? I think so, yeah. As opposed to, to 35 points in, in, in 38 games. It's ridiculous. Um, you know, yeah, 21 games, 11 wins, two draws. I mean, the, the Villa, Villa win or lose, don't they? Two draws is probably one of the lowest in the league. Uh, well, it's the lowest in that top 11 there that we can see. Um, but yeah, 35 points. That's five points away now from the top four where Liverpool are with a game in hand. Um, three points away from Chelsea, is it? Uh, now, where are we? For the 35. Three points away from West Ham, sorry, in fifth. Um, it's very small on my screen. I'm not just blind. Um and still with those games in hand, and I've said before that games in hand are a bit weird, really, because obviously you've still got the games to be played, and if you're in form, then you, you fancy yourself, but part of me would also quite like the, bo- the points on board already. Um, but you have these setbacks, and you, you lose to Burnley, and you think, oh, God, here we go again. But Villa are seriously in contention to get into Europe this season still, because you've got big games like today that show the character this side have got, and if they can keep chipping away and keep picking up points... They've got a decent chance. Yeah, uh, I'll talk about Europe in a second. But what what I wanted to say was just the way that the way that we're going about it. Because you know, when when Randy learned, I mean, I think somebody was saying what that Villa have won more games this season in the Premier League than they did they have for the last ten years. So let's mm. let's rewind back to, to when Randy, Randy Lerner was was running the club, um, albeit from afar, and. As soon as Randy Lerner lost interest when Martin O'Neill kind of walked out, and we've been over this time and time again, but as soon as, as soon as he lost interest, Aston Villa became a kind of setup as almost like a damage limitation, war of attrition type of footballing club um, under McLeish, under Lambert to a certain degree. And it became, let's stay up by installments. If we draw 38 games, nil-nil, chances are we'll stay up. I know 40, 40 points has been the magical mark, but 38 points have probably kept you up in kind of 99% of the last 20 years. So the teams were set up, you know, the teams are set up that way. They weren't kind of quite bold enough to think we can go to, go toe-to-toe with, with, you know, the rest of the Premier League, which is probably fair because, you know, some of the recruitment back then probably wouldn't have allowed you to go toe-to-toe. But mm. Dean Smith has kind of changed that mentality and he's thought, well, well, I'm sure he hasn't actually planned it out like this in his little kind of flip chart planner, but he's thought if we, if we lose to Burnley and we beat Southampton, that's three points. If we get draws against them both, that's two points. Mm. If we lose to West Ham and we beat, beat Arsenal, that's three points. If we get draws against them both, that's two points. And, 
you know, I know that risk strategy means that you're probably more, more likely to lose games than you are draw games. But mm. it also, if you if you if your players are set up and drilled correctly, and you've got enough quality and enough intent in there, well, means that you'll means that you'll win more games than, than you'll draw games as well. So, if Villa do get into Europe, and I genuinely think there's a really good chance now, which that's probably the the day that that's probably the exact moment that our European ambitions end because I've probably mm. jinxed it. <laughs> if Villa do get into Europe, then they're doing it the right way. They're doing it with with a real swagger and a, and a real intent. And I think now it would be a really, really great reward for the way mm. that the, the strides that we've made this season. Because Dean Smith will know that if we finish anything other than where do we finish seventeenth, seventeenth yeah. last season, if we finish anything above seventeenth, that's progress. But in terms of tangible progress, qualifying for Europe and or winning a trophy. We're not going to win a trophy this season. So qualifying for Europe is a real kind of mark in the sand that can say, not only have we made progress, look what we've become. Mm. I've flicked a switch and look what we've become. So I think it's something that, that we've got to really, really, really strive for. But in terms of striving for it, I don't know what more, much different we need to do other than what we're doing, other than yeah. learn, learn yeah. from the setbacks. I think we've got to just keep plucking away and keep doing what we're doing. As much as it's very frustrating to come on and do these podcasts after results like Berlin and even after West Ham, and you think, oh, it's just, I'm just annoyed that in this 90 minute period, I feel like we, we could have done more, we could have done this, blah, blah, blah. It, I would still not trade what we're doing now and what we're trying to do than what we've seen in the past. We're trying to grind out draws and, and being set up not to lose rather than going out to win games. I'd rather Dean Smith do exactly what he's doing. Yes, he can still make tweaks and we can, you can always improve. But I'd, I'd much prefer to be going out trying to win and, and losing the odd game and then winning the next one rather than, like you say, setting up for 38 draws or, or Steve Bruce trying not to lose because it's just boring. We, we have very little excitement in our lives these days. The football is something to look forward to every three or four days, every week. I want to be entertained as much as I want to see Villa win games as well. And at the moment, every so often it lines up that you be, you're entertained and Villa win on the same day. Sometimes you, you're entertained and you might only get, get the draw or you, or you might... You know, you know, you might lose a game, but play play well. We we played well and won today. I thought I, I, I tweeted at half time, so I think that was pretty comfortable. And there was a few people questioning it, saying, "Once oh, I comfortable," I was like, well, "Arsenal didn't threaten. Villa, Villa have created, they've scored their goal. They're rigid enough to be able to to see this game out." I felt even at half time, and yes, they had a bit more a bit more about them in the second half, and. You're still thinking, oh, if it's 2 0 or 3 0, I'll be a lot more comfortable here. But in reality, Arsenal haven't really threatened that much. And, and like you said at the, at the very start, Villa have made their chances as well and, and could have scored three or four. So keep doing what they're doing and we'll win more games than we lose. It's expectation, isn't it? You know, we, and I can understand it because the only way that you, you improve and you get better and you, and you strive to make progress is by not being satisfied. But mm. we've just done the double over Arsenal. Um, you know, and we still we still want more. I mean, the thing I was going to ask you was, what did you think? Was it two changes that Smith made from from midweek? Was it yeah. Troy in for Al Ghazi and the Camber in for for Louise? What did you think of the the Louise change? Because I think we all thought that if there was going to be a change in midfield, I know I know they're different roles. If there's going to be a change in midfield. It would be pro- perhaps Barkley missing out. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of the call that that, that Smith made in leaving Louise out? I thought, like you said, I thought it would be Barkley that missed out. And I think second place in midfield to miss out would be McGinn. 
I didn't think out of the three, I, th- I didn't think Louise would be the one that, that needed the rest. I don't think he was particularly brilliant against West Ham, but that's, I don't think that was particularly his fault. McGinn's looked, to be fair, McGinn looked better today, but he's looked not his usual self over the last few weeks. Barkley's not really be, been anywhere near it, bar the odd little flash here and there where he has a nice bit of footwork. And you think, oh, there is a player there, but he's just not doing it consistently enough, and that's because he's come back from an injury. And he's playing every, not every minute, but he's starting every game, and you, you look to that, I think he's the obvious change here. But like you said, it's different roles. So I think it's more about keeping the system the same rather than swapping players for the sake of swapping them. So I understand it. And Nakamba was very good again as well. He's come in now and played two games and, and been very good. And again, you look to the next game against Brighton, I think it is. I think Nakamba doesn't deserve to be dropped here. But he out of the pecking order of who we've got in terms of ability in that midfield, he is probably the, the worst one now, in, in quotation marks for those listening. You've got Sanson in there, McGinn, Louise, Barkley. They all come before Nakamba, don't they, on paper? But Nakamba's the one out there on the pitch putting in performances. So it feels harsh to say that he's out of the team when someone else is available. But that's football, I think, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think Smith's scared to um, drop Barkley because if that's what he does when he's taken off with 10 minutes left, um, <laughs> if he kicks bottles like that, who knows what he's going to kick. Did you um, see a glance from, from BT, the BT replay? Yeah, I showed a bit of a, bit of a slow-mo with that. And I think they're right. I think, they were right. I think it was Darren Fletcher, the, the commentator, was saying that Smith will just kind of let that wash over him. He knows mm-hmm. that these things are done in the water bottle. Well, yeah, they let, they let, the, they let the, the kicked water bottle wash all over him, yeah. Um, now, he knows that these things are done in, done in the heat at the moment, and I think he probably will. I think as much as Barkley being frustrated that the manager took him off, he's probably frustrated that he hadn't quite hit the levels that he needed mm. to be t- taken off. Do you know what I mean? I think that was frustration with himself as much as it was with the manager. Um, in terms of the other change, the Canberra deserves to keep his place, by the way, for me. Um, in terms of the... Other change. I just wanted to talk about Troyore's um, the little dink. I mean, I think I tweeted that I, I love a little dink. I'm a fan of a little dink, but I don't think that was the right time for a little dink. Um, no, it wasn't. That's probably why I'd have just slotted it. Well, same me. <laughs> I've seen you play football, mate. You'd have done either. I'd have been gasping on my hands and my knees, mate, on the halfway <laughs> line if I could have got that far forward. But it, it was crying out for a little slot in the near yeah. post for me with my, um, you know, with my Cradley Heath ballpark. Um, I think, I think back across the back post, the back in the design direction it's come from, I think, yeah. Either that or aim for the keeper's legs. Yeah, I certainly don't think it was a dink, but that's probably why Bertrand Traore is Bertrand Traore and we're yeah. not him because of that unpredictable nature. Yeah, um, we've talked about it before. I like the unpredictability. I thought his work rate was a little bit better today as well in terms of tracking back. It's much more noticeable when Trezeguet comes on. He's like a little ball terrier running everywhere. And I thought that was much needed in that moment, especially on the left-hand side when you've got Saka and uh, Pepe both on there when he moved over to, to left wing back. Having Trezeguet over there just to hurry them and, and get in the way was, was was much needed. But I did think that that Traore's work rate was was a little bit better than we've seen initially when he first came through. But it's that unpredictability going forward that makes him a bit of a wild card. And yes, he will be frustrating. But when he gets things right, there's a nice little player in there. Um, I'm, I'm wary of wrapping this up because I'm, this is a working day for me. So I've got other things to crack on with. I just wanted to quick ask you about Ollie Watkins. I know that we've kind of talked about him to death so so far on previous podcasts and how good he is. The, a stat that I've seen on Twitter from Who Scored saying that Ollie Watkins has played 6,290 minutes possible. No, I'll say that again. Ollie Watkins has played 600. <laughs> Ollie Watkins has played 6,290 minutes of a possible 6,300 over the last two seasons. Easy for you to say. I know, tell me about it. I wish I'd, I can't, it's there written down. I don't know why I can't say it. He's missed 10 minutes of football in, in a season and a half. 
yet his stamina and his work rate is unbelievable. If you look at those figures, you think, God, he must be tired now. He must be jaded a bit. He's got 10 goals in the Premier League, which is a fantastic return for a player that's made the step up from the Championship in half a season with a side that before before we started the season was thought to be struggling. I tweeted saying that I don't think it's ridiculous to say that he'll get 20 this season in the Premier League. It's, we're just over halfway now, but he seems to score two two in games, doesn't he? Every so often he'll score one, then bag another one later, which I thought he was going to do today. And that will kind of boost his tally up a little bit. I, I think he'll push 20. But his work rate and things like that and how much he's played, we talked before about oh, if he gets an injury, we're, we're in trouble here. If he does get an injury, it's very well, it, I'll say this, it's very unlikely it'll be a muscle or fatigue thing because history shows you that he doesn't suffer from things like that. It'll be a freak injury or now he'll said this, he will get injured and he'll yeah, be retired right next game. But don't what, jinx him for God's sake. What I'm trying to make is I, I can't believe how how good he is for what we paid for him. And how, how, how much he's played, everyone's going, oh, 25 million or whatever for, um, or however much it was, for a championship player, he won't make the step up, he'll have 10 goals if he's lucky. He's been brilliant, and I think he, I think he will push close to 20. How many minutes have, has he played against, sorry? <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. 6-2-9-0. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, um, you can imagine him kind of lapping the whole field, couldn't you, in um, in cross-country? Do you know what I mean? Probably yeah. run ten miles while people are, you know, all the others are kind of at school. People are like smoking in the trees. Um, he is, yeah, he's, he's just like kind of Villa's Mo Farah. He's just got so much energy. I'd love to see his exact running stats. Um, ten goals already, probably should have twenty. <laughs> already, yeah, he should, yeah, he should probably be able to team and, team, yeah. Would work and stuff like that. Um, I just like him. I just like I like his demeanour. Um, I, do, I, mean, I must confess, I've only seen kind of highlights, packages, and stuff from Brentford. I didn't didn't study his career closely there, but to me, and this might just be a leap of imagination or something I'm just making up completely. But him getting to the Premier League for me seems to have kind of, you know, some people might rest on the laurels, but he seemed to think that I'm in the Premier League. I need to do even more. I need to work even mm. harder. Um, I just, I just like the fellow. I just think he. We've said this before. He doesn't kind of a bit like the rest of the team. Doesn't really dwell on setbacks. Doesn't let that get him down. You know, knows that if he does the same things every game, which is intelligent running, um, hard work, pulling defenders all over the place, then his opportunities will come. Uh, got a massive dollop of luck for the one today, but he's had a massive dollop of of bad luck um, yeah. with ones that have been been ruled out previously. Yeah, agreed, and. Um... Yeah, just a fantastic player. And I'm, I'm now going to wrap up the podcast, um, which will be much delight to John, who says, talking gibberish, not for the first time, which, yeah, I'm used to it. It's been, it's been a long day. Tough, it, John? It's, been a long, it's been a long day, John. I'm sorry I can't read numbers off a screen. Uh, to be fair, that is poor. Um, but, yeah, delighted that they've won a game. Um, and it's Brighton up next, I believe, and a real chance to go and get three points again and, and mount this European charge. If that's the right yeah, phrase. Can I just talk about how black your hair looks today? Yeah. It looks like you've got a bit of kind of just for men in it, to be honest. Nah, nothing at all, mate. I've, I mean, I'm not saying oh, I've not even had a shower today, but I've not done anything to my hair, no like product or nothing. Like that. I'm not that kind of guy anyway, but yeah, I've done nothing. But it is very dark today. I don't know why. I think it's the lighting in this room. I'm, I'm not set up properly yet. You know, saying that like JT seemed to have have dark hair today on the touchline. I didn't know whether it was everybody giving it a bit of a Mark Mikel Arteta. Uh, <laughs> Tribute tax, but you know, it looks dark. Hey, before before we go, um, I just wanted to, I don't know why, I, 
when, whenever we play Arsenal at home, and I remember the days when we didn't beat Arsenal at home when, when, when we were actually allowed inside the ground, it just reminds me of that that parachuting Santa thing, and I've just put it on put it on social media today. Uh, people have just oh yeah yeah it was horrible it, 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 was, it was terrible. Just a, a shout out to that guy. I mean it was before your time, Dan. It was back in yeah, nineteen ninety eight. But uh, I got a chance to interview him. This the RAF parachutist who who, who parachute broke and he, he crashed into the the um, Trinity Road roof dressed as Santa all those years ago. And every time we play Arsenal, I think of him and he's just such an inspirational fella. So I'm not sure we do podcast dedications and I'm not sure we'd really <laughs> care about having a shout out from me. But um, <laughs> Nigel, Nigel Rogoff, who was the fella back then, you know, such a hero. And um, yeah, like I say, the more we beat Arsenal, I'll probably have more positive memories to, to harp back on. Well, that, that's one that just sticks in my mind forevermore. Just bizarre. Didn't he, didn't he marry the nurse that looked after him or something? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. quite a pudding technique, that is, isn't it? You know, it's quite, know, extreme, yeah. uh, quite extreme measures to go to. But, yeah, I think he was on this morning, I think, um, with her to talk about his recovery, um, you know, many years many years after. Uh, but that was surreal. Like, cause I've been reminiscing with, with a few Villa fans on social media about that. And he was dressed as Santa, of course, uh, and it was halftime during a game. And I was in the whole end, and the, the, the people who've tweeted me this morning saying, yeah, you know, I was only a, only a kid, or my my kid was with me that day, and they're saying, "What's happened to Santa?" You know, what's happened to Santa? <laughs> so it was it was quite bleak. Um, Villa roared wow. back and won three two that game. Uh, so that was that that was the uh, the other headline news from that that game. But yeah, just thought I'd waffle on about that just to fill a bit of time for you, man. Yeah, good. Oh, we didn't need to fill time because I was happy to wrap up at <laughs> twenty five minutes. But uh, no, good story. And yeah, I was uh, one that always comes out every so often. Um, We'll call it there. Thank you very much, Matt, for joining me. Thanks uh, for all those who tuned in. John Detay was only joking, so appreciate that, John. Thank you very much. Also, someone else said I've got quite the quiff going on. It's really like, like I said, I've not done anything to it. I apologise, but I'm beyond the point of caring at this point. Uh, <laughs> just here to talk about the villa. My hair is irrelevant. We'll leave it there. And mine. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're well, I mean, yeah, exactly. Um, so thank you very much. We'll be back on Tuesday night, is it? Wednesday? Oh, I can't remember. Whenever Villa play next, we'll be here to talk about it. So... Thanks everyone for tuning in. Come back soon. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for watching. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. But until then, up the villa. Up the villa.